재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 On Saturdays, it's freshly served around here. We talk about lifestyle trends and more often than not, food and drink. Usually we're joined by a cool chef, as we are this week, Dustin Wessa. We call him the Namul guy because he is an unmatched expert on Korean Namul, despite not being ethnically Korean. Do I have that right, Dustin? Quite the introduction. Yeah, but, well, I don't know if I'm an expert, but I'm definitely not oh, Korean. Oh, come on. The, the, the level of expertise we've shared with you on this program about uh, the details and granularities of Namul on your average Korean hillside has been nothing short of impressive. And you use it in your cooking. I do. You know, I got this older style. We have a lot of people over the age of 60 that are still foraging, and I just kind of saddle up alongside them and mm-hmm. try and learn the most I can. Yeah. And eventually the, the, the student becomes the teacher. I, you know, sometimes you're informing them of some cool stuff that they may be missing. Uh, there are a few things, of course, um, like seeds and whatnot that's not really used in, in Korea. That yeah. You can have fun. I mean, buckwheat popcorn, that's, that's fun stuff, right? Wow. You can make popcorn out of buckwheat? Yeah. That's wild. Like little memil seeds. Little, yeah, little they tiny pop. popcorns. Are they puffy? Yeah, yeah. It looks like popcorn. It's, it's a little more savory than your average corn popcorn, a little less sweet. I think you've got a real hipster industry in the making there. We just got to wait for it to catch up over here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the mass industries that are making their various uh, naengmyeon noodles and so forth, they're going, ah, what are we going to do with all these seeds? Right, right. You've got the new pyeonijeom snack right there. Stop putting them in pillows and start making popcorn. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know they put them in pillows. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, I guess when you get down to the art of being a chef, it's, it's taking nature and turning it into something wonderful in the form of uh, sustenance or food or even a new experience. And um, I guess... One aspect of that, certainly in Korea, is taking nature and fermenting it into jangs and also into traditional alcohols. Alcohols. Uh, a friend of mine, he's, a, he's an anthropology major, and one of the things, as he's writing his thesis now, what we talk about often is, uh, why were they growing kijang? What uh, is that? It's, um, uh, what's the English for that? A little uh, millet. Millet. Millet was the first, one of the first cultivated uh, agricultural products here ah. in uh, Neolithic Korea okay. on the peninsula. Yes. And we're thinking, why would you grow millet? Why would you specifically single out millet? I mean, would you rather have a bowl of rice or a bowl of millet? Yeah. Right? Rice. And no one wants millet, but why were they growing it? So he was theorizing that uh, people were actually trying to make booze with it uh, way back in the day. So, I mean, at some point, humans uh, in, in our grand quest to survive... Uh, and thrive, we learned how to brew. That's what you do in a very sophisticated way. Yeah, well, I mean, in, in society, it, you, you need sustenance, uh, sustenance, but you also you need something to take the edge off. So mm. that's a different type of survival. Uh, I've been brewing uh, traditional rice wine, makgeolli, for, what, three, five years now? Yeah. And, and it, I'm just a hobby brewer, to be honest. I mean, there, there are people that know so much more than me. Um, but what I like to do is I like to incorporate a lot of wild ingredients to see what type of flavors take off. Not so sure. much infusions, but actually steaming the, these, these wild herbs and, and roots and branches, sometimes uh, pine nuts and, and mushrooms and whatnot with the rice and then seeing what type of flavors you get and uh, yeah, different things like that. For those who just got off the plane to Korea and are wondering traditional brew technique of rice that ends up in makgeolli. Give me like the 30-second version. You steam some rice, and what do you do? You steam some rice, um, al dente, uh-huh. and then just mix it up, let it cool down just a tad, 
throw it into a clay vessel or a gallon jug or, you know, whatever you have and uh, mix in a proportion of water to uh, what we call nuruk. And nuruk is basically a wheat substrate that you've uh, inoculated naturally with wild yeasts. Kind of a, a wheat sourdough, as it were. Uh, full grain. Full grain. Right, right. Okay. Uh, that's interesting. Nuruk, I had always thought that was the rice, but it's, it's the grain stuff, and you it's, add that to the rice. Right, and you mix it all together with the water. I mean, the interesting thing about nuruk, actually, is when you, when you look at other brewing, you're dealing with specific strains, isolated strains. You have your champagne yeast, you have your uh, you know, different yeast that you're using to inoculate, so you get exactly what you want out of, out of the alcohol with Traditional Korean uh, brewing and distilling, what you're getting is basically a footprint. Mm. You're taking a snapshot of an area. So, whether so the, 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 whatever it is you threw in, the uh, wheat that formed the, or the grains that formed the nuruk, that's your terroir right. kind of. Right. So um, let's say you take pine needles. Yeah. And certain types of yeasts are going to prefer pine needles over, say, mugwort. Uh, and you, you take that and you have dried pine needles and you put them in the box with this pasteurized brick of wheat. And the yeasts, as they, as they rehydrate, they move from the pine needles into the wheat, and that's what you use to inoculate your, your makgeolli, your rice Yeast wine. Yeast or live bacteria consumes some of the sugars and the carbohydrates and the, uh, what the byproduct really is alcohol, isn't it? It's, yeah, basically, we're drinking yeast urine. <laughs> uh, bottoms up. Yeah. Yeah, but, it, I mean, it's such a tradition. I mean, if you get... Even past the idea of, you know, drinking and alcohol, it's just culture. I mean, the, the brewing, when you conceive of Korea as a pre-industrial agricultural society, I mean, every village and every household would have had their uh, particular spin on this, right? Uh, for, for hundreds, thousands, arguably thousands of years, that was the case. And it was only, what, until the last uh, hundred years or so that things started to really take a big shift due to... Uh, war and uh, rice shortages, different laws that were, were implemented by both internal you know, governments and foreign governments yeah. you know, and the regulation. Sure. It's, it's interesting to think that what we're drinking right now, when you go down, sit down and have just Korean barbecue, you get your green bottle of makgeolli, yep. which is largely uh, aspartame. Flour and and tap water. Yeah, it's corporate makgeolli. You right, know, it's right. sort of uh, how can we produce the most, the fastest, the cheapest? Right, right. And it's uh, it's been the staple for long enough now. I mean, you think it's uh, what nineteen sixties, seventies is when makgeolli just started to decline in popularity a bit again with the with the rice shortages, uh-huh. and then it started to pick up again. Corporations took over and. Uh, it's it's certainly interesting to think that the older generation, the generation right before us, as much as they would have loved to carry on the torch, were almost denied the opportunity to drink the mm. stuff that was being produced 100 years prior by their parents, by their grandparents. There's well, a you break s- in the history. I mean, you're a living example, but mm-hmm. we're also seeing you know a, a resurgence of interesting craft makgeolli, individually brewed, house-brewed makgeollis. Perhaps at the macroeconomic level, maybe we can see what happened with craft beer, you know? The only reason craft beer is exploding so much in Korea is because uh, the the National Assembly at one point changed the laws, which were basically a chokehold on small producers and uh, kind of a silver platter gift to the corporate producers. Right, right. Maybe uh, the, the makgeolli laws and the other brewing laws need to be loosened up. We've, we've seen a little bit of loosening in the last uh, couple years or so. 
I had been wanting to produce Makali on a slightly larger scale, but maybe get into a micro brewing type mm-hmm. setting. Mm-hmm. And uh, what ended up happening was, I think the laws originally were you had to have the capacity to brew 10,000 liters a month. Yeah. Yeah, to be huge. It, it, right. I mean... Huge or nothing. Right. Ginormous. Yeah. 10,000 liters a month. So, I mean, what's, what's that rice cost? I'm, right. My, my salary's like, <laughs> I can pay rent. And well, then, the way that the beer guys got their start once the law loosened up was through these contract brewers. In other words, I have a warehouse full of brewing equipment, which you can rent. It's almost like renting server space, you know? Yeah, you sell your recipe. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so, who knows? If, if Makale gets big and huge and this... artisanal market truly opens up you could maybe go and rent three vats at the contract brewer and put out dustin wessa makali dustin wessa makali i'm sure that would suck dustakali dustakali put my face on it and i'd be out of business in a year yeah no oh that's credibility though you've got the sort of uh, lumberjack beard and you know it, it would say wholesome and uh made in the woods perhaps oh, you know, wholesome yeah and uh, the elder generation calls it ketar Yeah? Yeah. Um, What does that mean? Uh, dog hair. Okay, yeah. yeah. Right. You're not, you, can't tell it. Okay, can't tell it. So uh, I'm not sure it would help with the sales. Yeah. yeah. Um, but now, you know, legally now, I think it's a thousand liters. And we just recently had the uh, Coex Expo for, for World Spirits and Traditional Spirits. Right. And I saw a lot of vendors down there selling, uh, you know, commercial equipment. Sure. And I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, a thousand liters. Now, that might be doable. That's doable. And yeah. you could buy sort of the same way that the people who started up cafes, they buy this gigantic Italian coffee roaster. Right. Maybe you can get with a, you know, a modest capital investment what you need to be a Makkali house, you know. And then you've got uh, a little bit of extra to sell perhaps on a retail basis. But at least you've got your sort of, you know, under your roof It's your Makkali. That could be a huge attraction. It would be great if, if we saw over the next couple of years a lot of uh, smaller places starting up craft Makkali houses. I think that's definitely something that uh, people should be focusing on as Makkali seems to be coming back into sure. a resurgence of popularity. What works with Makkali? You tinker a lot. You just mentioned pine needles. What else have you been chucking in the old Makkali vat? So uh, in, in beer brewing, there's something called a gruit, which is basically you're not using hops as a bittering agent. And I played around with a similar concept to introduce kind of this earthy, woody, bitter depth to, uh, to my brews by using um, wild mushrooms. Okay. That seems like a good fit anyway. Rice, mushrooms. Mushrooms would be a very mellow taste, I would think. It, it, it is quite mellow. It, it definitely pulls down the acidity level a bit. And uh, with these kind of like earthy notes that you get, it smooths out that sweetness. It makes it a little less abrasive. I mean, we have enough sugar in everything we're consuming right now as it is. Does it have uh, purported health benefits? Because mushrooms are nothing short of... Uh, you know, magical if you look at all the hype and marketing around them. I have yet to try how magical <laughs> you can make magic makkali. But um, with, the, with the reshi mushrooms that I was using, uh, in Korean, that's, that's uh, yongji. In English, we borrow the Japanese, but we don't have to. So yongji bosot, and uh, that's in traditional Korean medicine. Hmm. It'd be interesting. I mean, I don't have a lab behind me, but it, it, it would be an interesting study to take some of that and see what type of those anti-cancer properties and different uh, health benefits that these mushrooms are said to have, see what, kinds, uh, what amount actually translates over to a brew, I mean. 
Okay, so I mean, it's not really that radical in in my world to consider adding mushrooms to makgeolli. Have you tried any real nutty things? Some wild ingredients? Uh, my my previous sous chef, he loves hazelnuts. Okay. And so we went down to Chinatown, and I think we dropped about fifty thousand won yeah. on hazel on roasted hazelnuts. But they have that on the shelf, don't they? Hazelnut makgeolli and stuff like that. Uh, they ha- I've, I haven't seen hazelnut, to be honest. I've seen chestnut. I've seen pine nut. I've seen some mm. some different ones. I haven't seen hazelnut, and so we dropped this ginormous amount on just a test batch, and I. I I kid you not, not a single <laughs> aroma or note whatsoever came, came through. through. Yeah. It's like, you know, where are the hazelnuts in here? Yeah, it was, it was like we should have just eaten them. I kind of thought you were going to say something along the lines of cilantro makgeolli or something like that. Chipotle makgeolli, you know? Uh, cilantro, you'd be at, with coriander, you'd be playing Russian roulette. I mean, what, a 20% of the population is genetically Thinks disposed. It tastes to, like soap, right? I think it's, it tastes like somewhere in between soap and BO, I've heard. <laughs> well, but if you like it, you really like I, it. I was a, I was a pretty uh, unruly child. I have tasted both. Yeah. I, I'm not sure I'd put it into a brew. Well, if you look towards like a blue ocean futures for what could go, you must have a notebook uh, with scribbles and ideas for what might, maybe you could do sort of a like salad ingredient, something fresh like bell peppers and carrot. Bell peppers and carrots or goat cheese or something. Just take yes. the 20-year-old trends from uh, American culinary co- <laughs> culture. Frittata, and, right, right. Yeah. Just throw them straight in. I was joking with a friend the other day and uh, Dunkaroos and snack packs. We could do something with those as well yeah yeah or you could sort of recreate certain flavors you know creamsicle makgeolli that kind of thing mocha makgeolli would also work I, you know, th- one of the things that prevents the mass marketing of uh, makgeolli outside of uh, a basic geographic area is the fact that it's hard to transport makgeolli. You know? It's difficult. Uh, preservation is, is uh, difficult. I mean, one of, the, one of the selling points, part of the interest in makgeolli is that it's, a, it's living. Yes. And a lot of the, the few, I would say, the few companies that are not using aspartame to kind of stabilize their product, what they have on the, on the label is a parabolic swing graph of how the flavors are going to change over the next 14 days. Oh, wow. Right. And days. So, it's denominated in days. days. So you can go to some of these places and you can, if, if you bat your eyes real pretty and, and, and use your best Korean and, and dot your, your T's and cross your eyes, and you could ask for, can I have a bottle of Nuri Mao that's eight days old, please? And they'll, they'll comb through it for you and you get your, your sweet or your sour or your dry or whatever. Ah, uh-uh. ah. So depending, you could almost uh, set up uh, the shelves of your favorite Makgeolli brand saying this is straight out of the vat and this has been, this is old grandpa Makgeolli, which is 20 days old and is at the fullest of its fermentation. I brought some with us and I think um, there'll be a lot of coughing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What does the, I mean, what is the arc of flavor on makgeolli? I would think it would be similar to yogurt or cheese. It gets more nosy. uh, Because it's, you know, it's a lot of uh, lactic bacteria in there. So it it gets more piquant. It gets more sour. And there are people that dislike that. There are people that, that like it very much. I'm I'm a big fan of champagne, so the more my makgeolli tastes like champagne, the more I just want to pop open a bottle in the cab home and 
and uh, you know, head towards meeting friends. Just don't shake that bottle because uh, if you shake up a bottle, it muckily bottle and try to open it. It's a it's a very messy affair. I, that would be fun to see in place of <laughs> champagne in the future. Yeah, <laughs> Dustin, we've reached the end of our time. Thanks for another freshly served. I appreciate it. Thank you.